Hello, I'm Joshua. You're listening to Global Questions, the podcast breaking down international news and politics. Today on the show, part two of our in-depth series on the decline of democracy. Serious concerns have been raised over freedom of the press and the future of journalism after the Australian Federal Police carried out more raids, this time at the ABC Sydney headquarters. When the police raided the homes and offices of journalists in 2019, it revealed an uncomfortable truth. Press freedom in Australia has been declining for some time. But it's not just declining here. Journalism is facing unprecedented threats around the world. And that raises troubling questions for democracy. Without free-flowing information, reporting on the powerful, then the citizenry doesn't have access to information to make informed decisions. Today's guest is Marcus Strong from Australia's top journalism union, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. We chat about the threats faced by journalists in Australia and internationally, what it means for democracy and how we can fix the situation. Marcus Strom is the federal president of the media wing of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, or the MEAA as it's also known. He's been a journalist for more than 25 years in both Australia and the UK, and he's worked for outlets like the Sydney Morning Herald. On top of all of that, he's also a former Walkley Award finalist. Marcus Strom, welcome to Global Questions. It's great to have you on the show. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. So. For those of our listeners who don't know much about the MEAA, can you give us just a little bit of background about it and who it represents? So the MEAA, or MIA, is the Union and Professional Association for Australia's Journalists and Media Workers. We represent more than 5,000 journalists in Australia. We're one of the oldest media unions in the world. We were founded in 1910 as the Australian Journalists Association. And we represent journalists in their workplaces like any union would. We negotiate enterprise agreements. As a professional association, we are the custodian of the Australian Journalist Code of Ethics. And we also are a a fierce campaigner for free press in Australia and internationally, where we are an affiliate of the International Federation of Journalists. We've got you on to talk about press freedoms and the way that they interact with democracy. But let's start with the basics. We hear this phrase, press freedom and freedom of the press, bandied around often. What is it? What do we actually mean by that? Yes, it is bandied around. But I think in its basic, it is the right of for journalists or people performing acts of journalism, as we say it in the modern era, can do so without fear that they're going to be arrested, closed down, that they're going to have advertising pulled, that they're going to be subject to defamation threat, to physical threat all sorts of such attacks. It is the right for a society to report on itself without commercial or political filters, I suppose. And it is to uphold the public's right to know and report on issues that are in the public interest, to be able to scrutinise the powerful and to give voice to the voiceless. And so why is it important for a healthy democracy? You touched there a little bit on the public's right to know. Can you go into more detail on that? I think an axiom of a democratic society is that people have access to information in order to make decisions individually or collectively as groups. So without reporting on the powerful, uncovering wrongdoing, crime, corruption, 
then the citizenry doesn't have access to information to make informed decisions that can then provide for a free society to be able to engage with itself. In that sense, free press is really holding a mirror up to society so it can review itself, hopefully without distortion. Of course, a lot of distortion goes on in the media. We see our role in the union is to try and hammer out that distortion so that society gets a fair view of itself. Yeah, let's talk more about your role and press freedoms in Australia. Some of our listeners may indeed be surprised to hear that the World Press Freedom Index, which ranks countries according to their level of media freedom, places Australia 25th in the world. So we're behind countries like Jamaica, Uruguay, Latvia, Namibia, and I'm certain that many of us would not expect Australia as a developed Western democracy to be behind nations like that. Why are we so low? Why are we 25th in the world? So we we dropped five or six points in 2019 to 2020. And I think the main reason was because of the AFP raids on the ABC and on a News Corp journalist. Police raiding journalist homes and their places of work is an obvious and direct assault on the media. But there are so many other aspects that place us down low on that scale around our Byzantine national security laws, which have been ramped up since 2001 with the terrorist attacks on the United States. The difficulties being faced by a number of whistleblowers in being pursued through the courts and the defamation laws that exist in Australia are really terrible as well and a huge barrier to press freedom. Added to that, there's the financial difficulties that the press is facing. Having a poorly funded press or a lack of consistent coverage across the country is also curtailing press freedom. We've lost a lot of local, regional and suburban newspapers in the last five years. And all these, I think, mean a thousand cuts to press freedom and why we've fallen down that ranking. I want to discuss a little bit about those national security laws that you mentioned there. Since September 11, Australia's passed by, my count, 92 national security laws, which is a heck of a lot. Are we sacrificing press freedom and, by extension, the health of our democracy for safety? And where do we draw the line in that debate as well? So I think we are sacrificing our democratic rights and our democratic culture. And I know it's seemingly reasonable to present this as a balancing act between freedom and security. I think I reject that binary way of looking at these two aspects of society. A secure society is a free society. If you undermine our freedoms, you undermine our security. Yes, the state needs to be able to ensure the safety of the citizenry, but if that is done by clamping down on their rights, it becomes a ludicrous way to treat us. It's like being put in cotton wool for your own safety. I've never seen a police force or a security force that doesn't want more power and more laws to improve its position in in the bureaucracy. And I think under the guise of a genuine concern around terrorist threats, there's been rampant bipartisan upscaling of these laws, which are unnecessary and have really committed overreach within a free society. In what ways have we seen those laws being used to target journalists? Yes. So, for example, we have a system in Australia called the Journalist Information Warrant System, and it allows 22 government agencies to access journalists' information if they can get such a warrant. 
And the review of these warrants is very limited. It's opaque. It's a bit of a star chamber. You may not even be aware that one has been issued against you. We have asked for increased transparency around this. But for example, the AFP and security services can access the metadata of journalists' phones without really informing them as to why. They can be called into near press uh, star chamber inquiries. These are laws that a lot of journalists, particularly journalists working in national security or investigations are aware of, and you have to be very careful about how you handle whistleblower information. We have the Bernard Collery case. We have the whistleblower over the East Timor bugging, which occurred. This is a direct use of national security law to really clamp down on the reporting of matters that are in the public interest. And of course, the, the biggest one has been the, the alleged war crimes committed by Australian military in Afghanistan, which is an ongoing matter. And the pressures being put on journalists covering this are constant and added to that are the defamation cases around it. So journalists in these areas are under constant legal and personal pressure about how they report these matters. So does that mean stories that are in the public interest aren't pursued because of those pressures? Yes, I think it's fair to say that. I was speaking to, better not name them, but I was speaking to a senior uh, reporter just yesterday who was expressing their absolute exasperation at being hit with yet another court injunction on pursuing a matter. And I was a morning news director at the Sydney Morning Herald, and you've always thinking about, well, what defamation or other legal matter might hit this story? Is it worth it? How do we ensure this story gets published? What risk is there? We go through our in-house or an external lawyers to make sure that stories can be published. To what extent do you think these laws are about protecting the government from embarrassment as opposed to protecting security interests? I think that's what they're largely about. They're largely about protecting governments from having to explain themselves and the embarrassment that this causes. I suppose the extreme and probably most famous case this century would be the WikiLeaks expose, what was called collateral murder of the helicopter gunships in Iraq. Two Reuters journalists were killed in that attack by US Apache helicopters. And the unending pursuit of Julian Assange, who's a MIAM member, I think is about revenge for the embarrassment caused to their military and security services. They take that stuff seriously. And despite a lot of protestations from a lot of governments, they're not huge friends of a free press. We did a um, press freedom survey earlier this year, both for members and broadly within the media. 86.6% of all survey respondents said press freedom in Australia was either poor or very poor. And we asked if it had got better or worse over the past decade. 92.1% said it had got worse. Pretty damning statistics there. And also it makes you wonder how can you do your job properly when that's the context in which you're operating. It's also, as you've pointed out in mentioning Julian Assange and a couple of other names, it's not just journalists themselves who are being targeted, it's also their sources. We're seeing whistleblowers being prosecuted, taken to court in secret trials, for example, David McBride, Richard Boyle, Bernard Caleri. Does all of this indicate a growing anti-transparency streak within the Australian government, do you think? I think... Governments and bureaucracies by their nature oppose transparency. They're just getting away with it more. 
initially under the guise of national security laws. But I think in a broader sense, with the rise of social media and the different way that news is produced and consumed, a growing partisanship in media production and consumption, particularly in the United States with the phenomenon of Trump, it's easier to be less transparent and to, for example, to use the Trumpism of fake news, to condemn journalists and journalism. And of course, this is not new. I mean, you can go back to the rise of fascism in the 20s and 30s around the world. Calling the media fake news was what fascists did a century ago. They're able to do it in different ways. It's taking new forms, but it's just as insidious and dangerous to a democratic society. Yeah, it's interesting you pointed out there the rise in partisanship amongst people who consume the media and in amongst the media itself. To what extent are threats to press freedom now beginning to come from ordinary citizens? Because we've seen, for example, in the US, threats issued against the media. We've seen the way that Donald Trump incited people against the media. Is that now a growing concern among your members? Very much so. In that survey I mentioned earlier, we asked journalists about their working environment. And 88.8% of respondents said they were fearful that threats, harassment and intimidation was on the rise. We've seen uh, journalists attacked by police. We've seen journalists attacked by members of the public protesting exactly with that trope of a fake media and attacking the main MSM, the mainstream media. And connected to that is a, a disgusting connection with anti-Semitism and all the old ugly tropes can come out. Members of the public who have bought into that Trump-esque, the media are, are to blame, the fake media, what the Nazis called the Lugenpresse, the, the lying press. I think the majority of society wants a free press, Journalists have never been particularly popular, but journalism is, is quite popular. But the threats are real. In that survey, 20% of media workers said they'd been harassed by police while covering a public event. 24.3% of working journalists said they'd been physically assaulted at some stage in their career. That's very high. And we've seen this year journalists pepper sprayed by police. And 87.8% of journalists said that they were wearing visible identification that they were journalists. So you would think that would be a form of protection. Maybe it is with most police, but it can be a lightning rod. Yeah, they're extraordinarily high numbers. So we've discussed this broad range of problems. How do you think all of this is currently impacting the health of Australian democracy here and now? Where you have this sort of heady mix of distrust in the, the mainstream media growing, access to different forms of media news, which I think is in principle very healthy and positive, but it is allowing for the distribution of deliberate falsehoods, particularly around COVID medicines, for example, and I think that is very undermining. Keep listening. We'll be back after the break. Do you love Global Questions? We are a new up-and-coming podcast that is run by young people for young people. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot and it helps us gain the reach that we deserve. So let's discuss what we can do about all of these concerns then. First of all, I'm interested to know what role does the MEAA play in supporting journalists who, like, for example, Annika Smethurst, have their homes raided? So where there are legal matters afoot, obviously we can hire lawyers, barristers, if needed, and we, we have done that. 
Um, for example, with defamation laws, which I actually think the defamation regime in Australia is probably remains the biggest threat to press freedom out of all of them. Gina Reinhart attempted to sue Adele Ferguson. Well, she did ostensibly for defamation, but we thought that the real reason was to use the defamation process to find out who a particular whistleblower was. So defamation laws are quite wide-ranging, and you can use them to try to get money for defamation and to intimidate, you know, see you in court kind of bravado from the wealthy and powerful. So I think for most general journalism, defamation is a bigger problem. But I think there has been piecemeal reform started on defamation, such as a serious harm test. So it will be incumbent on a plaintiff to prove a defamation actually caused serious harm and wasn't a, a trivial matter. And shifting that onus from the defendant to the plaintiff, I think, will help. The other thing is police still have the power to raid the homes of journalists and the officers of media groups, despite some changes to the laws. So we need to have a wholesale exemption for public interest journalism from all national security laws. And that hasn't happened. Do we need things like a Media Freedom Act that sets out the right of the press to operate freely? Do we need a Bill of Rights that sets out, again, similar to the US, a free press? Um, so I just want to make it clear this is my own personal opinion. I think we do need a Bill of Rights. That's my personal opinion. It's not the opinion of the union. I don't think the union has a position of being opposed to it, but it just hasn't made a decision on it. I was um, recently reading up on the famous essay, John Stuart Mill's essay on liberty. In that essay, he actually doesn't talk about free speech, but talks about freedom of discussion. I quite like that idea, and I do think we need a Bill of Rights that entrenches that. The right to free discussion, what I like about that that isn't encapsulated in the right of free speech is it embeds the idea that you have to listen as well as talk. And I think the right of free speech, that sort of punk libertarian end of US culture is someone saying, I can say what the hell I want and you can't do anything about it. And that's rights with no responsibilities. Whereas the freedom of discussion, I have the right to say my opinion, but I also have an obligation to listen to your objections. And I think that is important. That should be enshrined in something that is constitutional. Yeah. And it's certainly part of what makes a functioning, healthy democracy too. It's the discussion. It's the debate that then informs policies and informs people's voting choices. But I'm interested to know, what hope do you have for these reforms being passed? How realistic do you think it is? Because ultimately, we're talking about the government here passing the very reforms that will in turn limit their power. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest there as such. Yeah, there sure is. I think there's a grudging acceptance that there may have been a bit of overreach with some of these laws and maybe a change of government if there is one next year would see that. I know the Shadow Attorney General, Mark Dreyfus, has spoken publicly about the need to maybe roll back some of these laws, maybe entrench better protections for public sector whistleblowers. And the other thing which we haven't touched on is a properly functioning freedom of information regime, which doesn't exist in Australia. I mean, freedom of information is for everybody. It's not just for journalists. If you apply for documents, it takes forever. And the documents you get back are so redacted that it's ridiculous. I actually applied to see my own ASIO file from 30 years ago, and I got something back so amazingly redacted. There was nothing in there. 
But I think there is an appetite in government federally, particularly with the opposition, but I also think elements of the conservative side of politics. I think Mark Speakman in the New South Wales Attorney General has been pursuing changes to the defamation laws and has been quite openly supportive of improving them for the better. So I'm not completely negative, but I think we need public pressure. And hopefully, um, if anyone listening to this and you're concerned about it, talk to your MP. They do occasionally listen and it does occasionally get through. You mentioned right at the start of the interview that the MEAA also plays a bit of a role in advocating internationally. What trends are we seeing globally in terms of press freedoms? Are they similar to what we're seeing here in Australia? Uh, I think so. And in some cases, much worse. You've got complete black spots like China, where the concept of a free media there doesn't exist. The media is seen as an extension of the state. That is their legal understanding of the press. We've seen Chung Lei from Melbourne, who's currently being detained in Beijing on espionage charges. No evidence has ever been presented to her. She's a member of our union. And in many countries like the Philippines and Pakistan and India and Mexico, journalists are murdered by the state and drug lords. That very extreme assault through murder of journalists and impunity and the International Federation of Journalists and a number of other media press freedom organisations campaigned for an end to impunity. Malta's leading investigative journalist was murdered just a few years ago. Ukraine, Belarus... But the importance of this has been recognised this year with the Nobel Peace Prize, where Maria Ressa and Dmitry Muratov were both awarded the Peace Prize for their campaigning for a free press. So it is recognised as a hugely important issue globally. 35 journalists have been killed this year worldwide. Marcus, if any of our listeners want to support the work of journalists here in Australia or support the work of the MEAA and press freedoms, other than writing to their MP, are there any things you'd recommend that they do? So one thing they can do, the union has a safety and solidarity fund. And what that has been used for historically is to support journalists in um, the Asia-Pacific region who face immediate threat. It's used internationally. It's not used in Australia. In the last few months, we've been using that to support journalists and media workers in Afghanistan who have been trying to get out of Afghanistan or have successfully relocated but need support. And you can, we have regular public forums and we do it with employers or with sister organisations in Australia, such as the Walkley Foundation. So you don't have to donate, you can participate in the discussion and share the information. Marcus, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to chat to you here on Global Questions. We wish you all the very best for the future. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, that's all for this week's in-depth episode, but join us next week for the wrap-up where Hugh and I will recap the news from around the world. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram for memes, quizzes and regular news updates. Link is in the episode description. We'll see you next week.